After nearly 2,000 years, finally, the answer we have all been waiting for arrives. The question is, what is Paul's thorn in the flesh? The answer is found in today's book. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review Paul's Thorn in the Flesh, New Clues for an Old Problem by Kenneth Birding. 280 pages published by Lexham Academic in February 2023. It's available in Amazon Kindle for $19.99 and in Logos for $26.99. I got this book for free from Lexham Academic uh, to review. They have no input in today's review. Long-time listeners to this podcast will know that I love a good mystery novel. The detective finds clues, invites the readers to solve the mystery, and the story steadily moves towards that big reveal. In this book, we look at a real-life mystery. What is Paul's thorn in the flesh? And our detective here is Kenneth Birding. Kenneth Birding, according to Amazon, is... Professor of New Testament at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, where he has served since 2002. He teaches courses such as Life and Letters of Paul, Principles of Interpretation, Biblical Greek, Romans, and Apostolic Fathers. End quote. It is as if everything he taught prepared him for this book. When tackling a narrow subject like Paul's torn in the flesh, I don't want a guy who is obsessed about this one mystery for the past 50 years of his life. That sort of person would have tunnel vision and he would not be able to consider anything else. I want someone who is aware of the broader picture, someone who knows Paul, his life and letters, someone who can survey the nearly 2,000 years worth of attempts to crack the mystery. I want someone qualified to teach us what could possibly be on Paul's mind. And on paper, Kenneth Birding is abundantly qualified. Now, qualification is one thing. Can he pique the reader's interest? Can he banish the fog of incomprehensibility surrounding a topic that is so narrow, so much like something for seminary students rather than for the everyday Christian. Crucially, can he convince us that nearly every commentator, every scholar, every theologian on this question has gotten it utterly wrong (laughs) and that his solution truly best explains this verse. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 to 9, let me read. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Before I read this book, this was my interpretation. We don't know what is Paul's thorn in the flesh. 
Nobody knows. It is a mystery that will forever remain a mystery. And you know what? It is good that we don't know because this thorn in the flesh can represent any one of our pain, our suffering, our trial, our temptations. It can mean anything we want it to mean because God, by His great providence, has left it undefined. Now, that's how I understood it. That's how I applied the mystery behind this thorn in the flesh. Uh, and I taught it because I believed uh, that was uh, true. Then along comes Kenneth Birding and he shatters all my presuppositions and says that my interpretation is wrong, dreadfully wrong, wrong in the first premise. He makes this astounding claim that the Bible, as well as other sources, gives us enough clues to solve the mystery, or as he prefers to say, solve the problem. So let's open the book. Paul's Torn in the Flesh. New Clues for an Old Problem by Kenneth Birding. He begins with this introduction. I quote, Imagine with me a first century house church meeting. The Apostle Paul is addressing a new group of Jesus followers that has recently sprung up as an extension of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Paul is passionately exhorting the assembled group about their need to view one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. He is 20 minutes into his talk when suddenly, and without warning, Paul's face grimaces. His hand moves rapidly to the side of his face, just in front of his ear. He collapses into a sitting position. His breathing quickens as he leans forward, eyes shut, fighting to hold back the groans working their way out of his throat. The matron of the house rushes forward along with a half-dozen others. She cries out, Brother Paul, are you okay? What's happening? What's wrong? End quote. Is that a great introduction or what? If this was a movie, the opening scenes shows the ending. Because here, um, what I just read, which is, a uh, which is a small snippet of a longer story, a longer reimagining of uh, Paul's... Um, uh, giving an uh, exhortation in the house church. Um, here he, he shows his hand. He shows the solution. Paul's torn in the flesh is a terrible pain, a physical pain, and something that he experiences in his face, perhaps around the ear or the eyes. Now, this is the big reveal. All right? So, I mean, it's like spoiling the whole book. <laughs> and he gives it, now, it's the author who gives it to us in the first pages of the book. And the rest of the book is a carefully written, methodical, and enjoyable series of engaging and convincing arguments. And he needs those arguments because everyone else thinks it's impossible to know for sure. In chapter 1, uh, titled, Why We Are Skeptical, Birding... Um, explains why many of us think that it's not possible to solve the mystery. And he gives a list of uh, imminent uh, scholars. Let me read the shorter comments from this list. Um, these are all theologians, these are all scholars. C.H. Dodd says diagnosis is impossible. F.F. Bruce states bluntly, no certainty is possible. Colin G. Cruz writes, however, the plain fact is that there is simply insufficient data to decide the matter. Gordon D. Fee writes, 
Finally, even though we have no way of knowing what the infirmity was, Paul continued to be plagued by a physical problem even after seeking relief from God. David E. Garland writes, In the end, we must accept the fact that we will never know for certain what Paul's stake in the flesh was. So I'm glad, having read all that, that all of these guys, uh, famous scholars, agree with me. We just can't know. Birding is against the consensus, and he knows it. And he tells us. Um, in chapter 2, uh, he gives us a list of uh, various people, again, very uh, imminent people, and there are solutions, solutions over the past millennia. Tertullian says it's a pain of the head. Lightfoot suggests it is possibly epilepsy. Ramsey says malaria. Chilton thinks shingles. These are just some of the people in a long list who think that uh, Paul's torn in the flesh is a physical ailment. Then we have another long list of those who think it's not, it's not physical. All right, it is uh, Basil of Caesarea suggests that the torrents are trials in ministry. Uh, Thomas Aquinas says sexual temptations. Martin Luther says it's temptation to anger. But uh, John Calvin plays it safe and guesses that it is temptations of various kinds. For the scholar, this is a great chapter. Actually, the whole book is great for those who want to go deep because we have many footnotes. In fact, the last item in the list that I just uh, mentioned is uh, that the last item has citation uh, number 99. So if you enjoy footnotes, if you enjoy following up on the, on the uh, books recommended or cited in this, uh, in this, for this question, uh, you will like this book. Yet Birding does not write this uh, just for the scholar. He also writes for the everyday Christian. Remember the introduction, how the story draws us in, how he, he invites us to, to experience, to see, to witness uh, Paul's excruciating pain as he double downs, as he sits, as he collapses and so on. So he wants us to actually understand and... Um, for, and, and I'll give you an example. When I read the two lists in the back of my head, I was thinking, hmm, why is it that you have some people who say it's physical, while some very strong theologians, and I'm looking at Aquinas, uh, Luther, Calvin, um, they think it's not physical, but spiritual. I mean, that's a big difference, isn't it? And I quote Birding here. When sharp-pointed object in the flesh which is a literal English translation of the Greek scholops te sarki, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, it got translated as stimulus carnis mea into Latin. So um, basically he's saying that when uh, it's translated from, from Greek to Latin, the subsequent use of that Latin translation opened the door to psychological and spiritual interpretations, such as sexual temptations or spiritual distress. This is because stimulus in Latin is more commonly used metaphorically for incitement or stimulation than is the Greek scholops. Don't forget that the Latin translation of the Bible was the preferred version for both Western priest and scholar for more than a thousand years. So such a translation carried the potential of wielding a far greater influence than was justified. End quote. So he explains it. He explains why we have so many people thinking it's psychological and it's influenced by the Latin translation where you have the word stimulus, um, which 
can mean uh, psychological um, or spiritual distress. So, so th- he satisfies my curiosity, and um, and he does that uh, many times throughout the whole book, preparing, preempting uh, questions uh, that that the reader may have. Now, at this point, I've spent more time than I think I should on the first two chapters, mainly because I enjoyed even the first two chapters so much. And uh, we have not yet touched on the main section of the book, which are the clues, all right, the clues. As I said earlier, the big reveal is already given. The rest of the book is presenting the arguments that lead to that big reveal. And that would be in chapters 3 to chapter 11, which cover clues from the historical context, clues from the book of Job, clues from the literary context. And, and just, just talking about the literary context, there are three chapters. And these are a masterly three chapters where he goes from the... And here I simplify so you can just get the, the, the gist. Uh, it's like he first unpacks in one chapter the sentence, okay, just the sentence, then in the next chapter, he unpacks the paragraph. So he goes a bit out of that uh, focus or, or on that sentence. He goes out to the paragraph. Then in the third chapter, um, uh, in this literary context, he looks at the broader uh, uh, chapter. In, in Actually, it's three chapters in the, this is the second Corinthians. So by doing so, he he really squeezes the fruit <laughs> so that we actually can see uh, very clearly uh, what Second Corinthians actually mean when we go deep and when we go wide. Uh, moving on, there are other chapters. So in uh, another chapter, we have clues from the suffering of Jesus. So we see how Paul writes and associates it with Jesus. So therefore, whatever we may think of the thorn in the flesh, has something to do with the suffering of Jesus. And he tells us what we can uh, see from there. Uh, we have another chapter, uh, Clues from Irenaeus and uh, Tertullian. So these are people who, who uh, he argues, they, uh, they have uh, the oral tradition. So they would have a fairly good idea of what the thorn in the flesh is, simply because they live nearer to the time of Paul. And they would know people, they would know people who act, who may have seen Paul, who would have heard Paul, and would have known what the thorn in the flesh would be. Then we have another chapter, Clues from Galatians, and we have a whole chapter on clues from miscellaneous sources. So uh, just bits and pieces, uh, which he has not put them as a, as, a, as a chapter by itself, but he just collects them and just presents uh, these uh, bits and pieces to us. I have learned so much from these chapters, not just on the content, but also in the approach. If anyone ever wants to write a book or article to persuade readers on a point of view, or forget about writing, if you just want to be a clearer thinker, I highly recommend this book. I think that the way he approached the question and uh, he, he did everything, it's just wonderful. Um, the Kenneth Birding is gentle and respectful of differing opinions. He is not desperate to win your approval. He lays out a case without any appeal to the emotions. He just the facts. He communicates as clearly as he can the significance of these clues. And this, I think, is the most important. 
trusting that the reader is intelligent enough to connect the dots. So let's look at one of those clues. I mean, there are many, but I'll just pick one. Uh, from chapter 5, uh, clues from the literary context, part 1, Birding states that the word Paul uses to describe his thorn in the flesh is a word that evokes a face punch, all right? a punch to the face. I quote, Most of our translations translate the word with general terms, such as torment, trouble, harass, buffet, uh, beat, or hit. This general usage is possible in certain contexts. But these renderings of kolafizo, that's the Greek word, mask both the word's initial evocation and most common usage. End quote. Now, normally that would be the end of it. And uh, we readers would have to take the writer, the expert's word for it, because you don't know Greek, I don't know Greek, he knows Greek, so he must be right. But Burning does not just want us to take his word for it. He wants us to understand, so he explains. Now, in this passage, I quote at length, so that I hope you can get a sense of the clarity that he aims for and the teacher's soul that is so embedded in a, in a birding in this book. I quote, Some words are more general, but can be particularized using additional words if a speaker or author wants to limit, wants to limit the application of the word. In English, words like hit or punch are such words. But there exist other words that can be used generally, but still evoke certain associations even before employed by a particular author in a particular sentence, because those words commonly have been used in particular ways in the past. Now, just bear with me, all right? Um, as I read uh, later on, you understand uh, what's going on. Continuing on. That is, for some words, if you could ask people to define a word even without a sentence, they would normally associate the word with a part of the body because that is how those words are most commonly used. For example, in English, when you hear the word stub, you initially associate it with someone's toe. When you hear the word spank, you normally think of a person's rump. When you hear the word slap, you customarily associate it with one's face. Without a qualifier, like finger for stub, leg for spank, or arm for slap, such words are of a category that a listener would initially associate with a particular part of the body, unless the author uses additional words to instruct otherwise. Colafizo seems to be such a word. Its most common association appears to be with the face. End quote. Now, this is just one small part of a greater picture. I mean, again, there is the reason why, in case you have not realized it yet, the reason why this has been a mystery or problem for nearly 2,000 years is simply because there is nothing definitive in 2 Corinthians or any of the letters that show uh, very clearly what this torn in the flesh is. The way a birding takes it is that he takes all these various um, clues and he collects them in the book and he shows and he, he categorized them. So I just want to say here that the organization of this book is simply brilliant. In the very beginning of the book, he introduces us to 20 criteria that we must consider, we must consider in order to solve the mystery. He shows us from the Bible, from, from the clues, okay, from the clues, how these criteria 
come about. Like for example, for example, when we see the word kolafizo, okay, the kolafizo uh, is used um, normally with regards to the face, then what we gather is whatever this thorn in the flesh may be, it is impacting Paul's face as a part of his head. And that is criterion number seven in this book. So he goes along through this uh, uh, many, many uh, uh, passages, uh, many, many um, like uh, Tertullians and letters and so on. And he, he, extracts, he extracts this uh, set of criteria from the clues. And crucially, these criteria will narrow our list of suspects or rather uh, possible solutions and, and so that it matches a particular category. Is it physical? Is it spiritual? If it's physical, is it like malaria, epilepsy, or is it something more to do with the face, with the head? And so that is how uh, this book um, approaches the problem. Now, I don't know whether you find whatever I just said to be interesting. So uh, I, want to, I want you to get a feel of how I felt reading this book. Now, coming back to the mystery movie idea, the thing is that if you give the reveal away in the beginning of the movie, you reveal what has happened, then the excitement now rests on the events that lead up to that final reveal. Because we already know the final reveal, so you need to see the events that lead up to it. So for example, you go to the movies and then you sit down and you watch the show and then you're excited because it's Tom Cruise and that's the reason why you're there. And then five minutes into the movie, Tom Cruise dies. Oh my goodness, that's not possible. He's a star of the show. What do you do? Do you then just get up and go because <laughs> the star of the show has just died? Well, maybe, but most people would watch the rest of the movie to see how the impossible happens. Now, when it comes to Paul's thorn in the flesh, many of us will come to this book thinking, honestly, it's just not possible. All right, It's not possible to know what the thorn in the flesh means. We just don't have enough clues or data. I'm looking at the verse, I'm looking at the verse, and there's nothing here that tells us what does Paul mean. Birding, does his reveal. He claims early on that it's a face-related disease, something like trigeminal neurogia type 1. I probably messed up the pronunciation, but he has done his homework and he has narrowed down to a list of seven possible face-related, head-related illnesses. Now, he reveals it to us in the beginning, so mm, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it's not, maybe it's a good guess. But surely there is no way that uh, Kenneth Birding can pull it off and make an overwhelming support for this uh, conclusion. And throughout the book, it is as if he says to the readers, I have nothing up my sleeves. I'm not doing any tricks. I don't make any appeal to the emotions. There is no great leap of faith into the darkness. <laughs> All I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you different categories of clues, clues from history, clues from the text, zoom in, zoom out, clues from 
uh, Christ, clues from Galatians, clues from Job. I'm just going to show you all these things. I'm going to show you how it is related, associated with what Paul writes in his letters. And I'm going to draw 20 criteria from them. All right, that's all I'm going to do. And later on, when we have these 20 criteria, we're just going to step back and think, what are possible solutions that can address these 20 criteria? So at the end of the book, he brings out these 20 criteria that we have extracted and collected as we went through chapter to chapter. And the reader comes out thinking that, yeah, any solution should meet these 20 criteria. If not all of them, because some of the 20 criteria we may not agree, but they are just, it's just a bit overwhelming in the sense that any one of these criteria we could just dismiss. But when all the clues come together and they show that there are so many of these things that overlap, that seems very uh, persuasive as a whole, um, so that it shifts the good guess into a very likely conclusion. All right? So, so Amy, let me just step back. So how he does it is he, will, he gives us three tables at the end. And for the first table, he lists the non-physical solutions. Maybe the thorn in the flesh is a demonic attack or it's Paul's experience of psychological pressure. Then he shows, okay, let's look at the 20 criteria. How do they match? Not very well. Next, he lists the physical ailments like malaria or epilepsy. And then he puts them side by side again with the 20 criteria. They are better than the non-physical solutions, but still some gaps. Lastly, he lists seven face-related, head-related diseases and we see that any of them could actually be what Paul experienced in his day. Everything in this book is so methodical. Everything is so well put. It is a masterly piece of work. At this point, I can imagine Professor Birding taking a bow to the thunderous applause of admiring readers, students, because he has done a very good job. And we, yeah, we appreciate it. Then I can also imagine someone in the back row asking, so what? <laughs> How does knowing what Paul experienced, whether it's a face illness or epilepsy or whether it's psychological pressure, who cares? How does knowing what Paul experienced make any different difference to me, to us today? And Professor Birding has fully anticipated that question and he gives us one more chapter, the last chapter which addresses the implications of everything that we have learned. He goes through the implications of each item in the 20 criteria. But rather than go through all of them, I'll just tell you that the title of the chapter says it all. A Fuller Portrait of Paul. And that is ultimately what we gain. And the more we know who Paul is, the more accurate we can know what he is thinking when he wrote the epistles. And if we can do that, we can get a more accurate uh, idea or sense to interpret his words for our spiritual gain. So, um, my concluding thoughts, okay? So, my final thoughts on the book. When I got this book, I 
wanted to be educated on this very narrow and very curious puzzle. I, I found it as a puzzle and I wanted to know, all right, so let's learn another interpretation. I was expecting, you know, one of those books where you have three, four interpretations of, <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a topic, of a doctrine, of a puzzle. I was open to changing my mind. I, was, I could possibly be wrong. And uh, after finishing the book, I am thoroughly educated and I have changed my mind. I just did not expect the book to be so well-researched, so well-written and so enjoyable. I have said it often in this review that this book has made me a better reader and clearer thinker. I want to approach every problem in the Bible the way Birding has done so here for the topic, for the puzzle, for the problem of what is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, thanks to this book, thanks to this book, I will be reading Paul's letter. I will be listening to sermons and thinking of Paul's excruciating pain. I mean, just put it to you. Imagine suffering from an ailment that feels like you are being punched in the face or pierced with an ice pick over and over again. Then imagine saying this in response. I quote, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How can Paul say such words? Especially now that we know the excruciating pain that he experienced. And Paul directs us over and over again that all things are possible through the power of Christ. This is a Reading and Reader's Review of Paul's Torn in the Flesh, New Clues for an Old Problem by Kenneth Burden. 280 pages published by Lexham Academic in February 2023. It's available in Amazon Kindle for $19.99 and in Logos for $26.99. Just to let you know, I got this book for free from Lexham Academic for this review. Uh, but they have no input in today's review. If you enjoyed today's book, be sure to subscribe to this podcast for more book reviews. You can also visit readingandreaders.com, that is readingandreaders.com, to leave a note of encouragement through the contact form. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.